0: Well, this week, early voting begins in North Carolina and and in many parts of the country as we look forward to what I believe is one of the most important elections that we've had in my lifetime. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe every election is important because it is the opportunity for us to exercise one of our most important freedoms, the freedom to vote and elect those who govern us. Every American should vote. But as we vote, we need to pay attention to the leaders for whom we're voting. Friends, our, co- our country's in a big mess. We're not just messed up economically with runaway inflation. We're messed up morally with evil people pushing their confusing ideas upon the most vulnerable and innocent of people, our children. We're messed up relationally with few real role models of what it means to have a healthy family, with a mother and a father and children, a family that loves one another and supports one another. We're messed up spiritually as people think that being a Christian just means believing in Christ and then living any way you choose. It's no wonder churches are dying and denominations are failing. And often churches that are growing are not turning out spiritually mature disciples of Christ. Let's face it, the church today is in a fight for survival. The church today is hunkering down and protecting itself when it should be charging the gates of hell. Listen to what Jesus said about His church. When when Jesus asked His disciples, "Who do you say that I? Who do people say I am?" and they said, "Elijah, one of the prophets." But Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke out and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, You are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and finish it with me. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In a world so filled with darkness, so controlled by Satan and evil men, what should the church do? We should charge the gates of hell. We should stand up and speak up for Jesus. Now we don't need to act like bullies or be rude to other people. We need to boldly practice the love of Jesus before everyone. as Paul said, "Speak the truth in love." Now friends, just think about just think for me with me for a moment, about how much garbage is being thrown before our faces and before our eyes and before our ears every day that we live. Just think of what our children and what we are, are seeing before us every day. Just think about how confusing the message of the world is to little children. The church needs to get some backbone. Listen, Christians who say they love Jesus need to get some backbone and stand up for Jesus as we once did in the past. There was a day in my lifetime when we were not afraid to talk about the story of Jesus. Today, people don't want to talk about it. People don't want to hear it. People, Christians are afraid to say anything about Jesus, afraid they might be turned away I want you to know that our nation was founded by people who practiced their faith. Was every one of our founders a dedicated Christian? No. But they respected God. They believed in God. And most of our families. We had a history of faith in our families, didn't we? Most of us. Our confused world needs to hear and see our faith. Because, friends, nothing's going to change the course of this world except the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why we need to vote for men and women who share our faith, for real Christians who are Christians all the time, not just at election time. Amen? We need to carefully choose people who share our faith. Now, more than anything... We need the church to be the church again, alive with Christ's power, pointing people to His grace, showing them how much He loves them enough to die on the cross for them. And we need to display what a real, live Christian is supposed to look like, talk like, and act like. When I look at Paul's life, that's what I see, a real, live Christian what, when I look at what he faced from his enemies and how he acted before his accusers, I have to tell you, I have to admit, it shames me. It does. This man was called by Jesus to do the same thing Jesus called me to do. Be his witness before other people. Every day. Not just some days, but every day. That's what Jesus has called you to be also. His witnesses. witnesses. Before others. Today as we continue looking at Paul's life and ministry. I want us to think about our own life and ministry. I want us to think about our own Christian witness. And evaluate how we are showing the real Jesus to our world in what we say and do. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 24. As we continue this series on transforming grace. Acts 24, transforming grace. And I guess we might add a little subtitle, who do you believe? Who do you believe? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We're going to share it together. We're going to open it. We're going to ask your Holy Spirit to teach it to us, Lord. You're the author. No one can explain this word better to us than your Holy Spirit. No one can apply it to our lives better than the Holy Spirit. And I pray, dear Lord, today that your Holy Spirit will take this wonderful passage of Scripture and teach us how strong our faith should be in this messed up world. That God that we'll look at it and we'll ask ourselves, who do we believe? And if we believe in you, Lord, if we follow you, then I pray that the world will see that in what we say and do. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Now, when we last saw Paul, he was in Jerusalem being held in protective custody by the Roman Tribune Claudius, Claudius Lysias, and the Jews had assaulted Paul. We we looked at that; they wanted to kill Paul. In fact, even after he was rescued from them, they a group of them made a pact to kill Paul. Claudius Lysias Paul and protected him because Paul asserted his Roman citizenship. And therefore, as a Roman citizen, it was the duty of the tribune to protect Paul. And so when, when Lysias heard about the assassination plot against Paul, he decided to remove Paul and take him to Caesarea. He ordered 200 Roman soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to accompany Paul to Caesarea where he would make his defense before the Roman governor, the Roman procurator. And may I say, at Jerusalem during that time, the Roman garrison probably consisted of a little more than a thousand soldiers. So Lysias ordered about half of his soldiers to accompany Paul to take care of him, to protect him. Now the foot soldiers, went as far as Antipatris, a fortified station about 35 miles from Jerusalem. The next day, the Roman cavalry took Paul the final 25 miles to Caesarea and delivered him safely to the Roman procurator Claudius Felix. Now upon arrival, Felix had had Paul taken to the praetorium. Now, the praetorium was a Roman palace built by Herod the Great, but had been turned into the Roman headquarters for the region. This is what we see in verse 1. Look with me there. Now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus, and these gave evidence to the governor against Paul. What we have here in chapter 24 is a real trial. In fact, the only real trial Paul would have on his way to Rome. Uh, Felix waited on Paul's accusers to come. And they did come, but it took them five days. Then he convened the trial. Luke said, the plaintiffs were Ananias the high priest, some Jewish elders of the Sanhedrin, and a spokesman named Tertullus. Now, The New King James Version calls Tertullus an orator. It comes from the Greek word rhetor, from which we get our English word rhetoric. Tertullus was good at rhetoric because he was a lawyer, skilled in Roman law. Tertullus was hired by the high priest to persuade the Roman procurator that Paul was as much trouble to the Romans as he was to the Jews, and therefore he should be turned over to the Sanhedrin. Now I want you to notice the carefully crafted statement of Tertullus. Let's look at verses 2 through 9. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, Seeing that through you, Talking to Felix. Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man, talking about Paul, a plague a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout all the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander, Lysias, came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining... That these things were so. Well, of course they did. Of course these Jews agreed with the false charges that Tertullus had levied against Paul. Of course they agreed. But Paul was not guilty. They were guilty. Guilty of condemning innocent people. Guilty of attacking anyone who disagreed with them. They falsely condemned Jesus. And they falsely condemned Paul with three trumped-up charges. After buttering up Claudius Felix, Tertullus levied his charges. Notice the charges against Paul. Number one, he said, Paul is guilty of insurrection throughout the empire. Now, Tertullus called Paul a plague to the Jews throughout the world, throughout the whole Roman Empire. That word that he used for plague literally means plague spot. In other words, Tertullus likened Paul to a sore that came up from a plague. He said, this Paul is a sore, an oozing infection to the whole Roman Empire. Tertullus knew that the Romans did not care about Paul's threat to matters of Jewish law, but he did care about rioting against, Jewish, against Roman authority. In fact, Felix had really not done such a great job of keeping peace in Judea. The emperor Claudius, the Roman emperor, had sent a letter warning the unruly Jews that if they did not behave themselves, he would take vengeance on them as fomenters of what is a general plague infecting the whole world. So Tortullus' reference to Paul being a plague was an intentional reminder to Felix of what the emperor had said about the Jews in Felix province. Felix did not want another riot to alert the emperor. The second charge Tortullus made against Paul... Paul is a leader of an anti-Roman group known as the Nazarenes. When Tortullus used the word Nazarene," he was not doing it in a nice way. He ca- he, was calling, he was degrading Christians. He was calling them a sect, an unauthorized, unauthorized, dangerous movement, with Paul, the ring leader. Tertullus was framing his accusations against Paul in such a way to persuade Felix that if Paul were a danger to Rome, so were Christians everywhere. And then the third charge Paul is guilty of desecrating the Jewish temple. Tertullus knew that Felix did not care about the rituals of the Jerusalem temple. So what if Paul so what if Paul defiled the temple? That was a Jewish matter for the Sanhedrin, not for the Roman governor. Well, well that was exactly the point Tortullus was trying to make in a sneaky way. He was saying to Felix, Paul is troubling, Paul is trouble for you. And since this is a matter of Jewish law, let us take him off your hands so you can be rid of him. Now, why would he want that? Because if Felix surrendered Paul into the hands of the Jews, they would kill him. Josephus wrote that the Romans had given the Jews permission to impose the death penalty on any who defiled the temple. Paul knew what they were up to. It was a matter of persuasion. Who would convince the Roman procurator to accept their word as as truth? Who would he believe? The lying tortullus representing Satan in the world view? Or Paul, a faithful ambassador for Jesus Christ? So with a nod from Felix, with no one but the Holy Spirit standing within, Paul began his defense, verses 10 and 11. Notice with me. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, And as much as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd either in the synagogues or in the city. Paul expressed his appreciation for Felix's knowledge of Jewish beliefs, having been a Roman leader in Palestine for about a decade. As for the charge of insurrection, Paul told Felix he had no history of inciting the Jews. He had come to Jerusalem as a pilgrim to celebrate the Jewish feast of Pentecost, and he had only been in Jerusalem for 12 days when he was arrested. So Paul lacked motive, method, and opportunity to commit these crimes against Rome of which he stood accused. Let's move on. Start in verse 12 for a moment. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, Felix, that according to the way... There's that word, the capital W, way. What Christians were called, the way. But according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men." Paul, was, Paul made no apology for being a Christian. Paul admitted, I am part of the way. What they call a sect, Paul said, is faith in Jesus, that He was the Messiah who died and rose again. It was by following the teachings of Jesus that Paul had a good conscience before God and men. But Paul said, this is the point, dear Felix... This is why I stand accused. Verse 17. Now after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple. Neither with a mob, nor with tumult, no riot. They, oft, they ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. The ones who saw me in the temple should be here. But they were not, of course. Of course. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me when I stood before their council, unless it is for this one statement which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. All those charges they made were mere smoke to disguise the real motive of his Jewish accusers. What they really hated was the message of the gospel. That the Jesus they crucified rose again to save all who would put their faith and trust in him. These Jews had one motive, one reason for condemning Paul. They hated Jesus and they wanted to convince the Roman government to destroy, to put a stop to Christianity. That's what they wanted. Nothing else mattered. Just stop Jesus. They tried once when they convinced another Roman procurator, Pontius Pilate, to crucify Jesus. That didn't work because what they meant for evil became the way to eternal life and salvation. Paul said to Felix... I believe all things that are written about the suffering Messiah in the Scriptures. To the Corinthians, Paul affirmed that the death of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus was foretold in the Old Testament. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you first of all that which I received. This is the gospel message right here. If anyone ever asks you, What is the gospel? This is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now what Scriptures? The Old Testament Scriptures. What what Scriptures in the Old Testament speak of Jesus, the Messiah? Hundreds of Scriptures. but, But look at Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. We are saved. After His resurrection, when Jesus walked on the road to Emmaus with two disciples, Luke recorded, Then Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This is why Paul was standing before... A Roman, proc- a Roman procurator because in the plan of God, in the master kingdom plan of God, Paul was given the opportunity to talk to both Jews and Gentiles about the Jesus he believed to be the long-awaited Messiah, the prophesied Son of God, Savior of the world. For this message, the Jews hated Paul. Friends, let me tell you something. When you try to convince anyone to follow Jesus, you put yourself squarely at odds with Satan and those who follow Satan. That's right. Jesus said, if they hated me, just think what they're going to do to you. Tortullus and the high priest wanted the Roman government to stop Paul's witness and end the spread of Christianity. And friends, I want to tell you, that we are facing the same thing in our world today. Yes, we are. Satan does not care if you talk about the weather. He doesn't care if you talk about the news headlines, or politics, or your grandchildren, or your hobbies, or your trips, or your sports team. But if you try to talk about Jesus, the father of lies will do everything in his power to silence you. That's right. In, a, in the United States, there, there is a case coming before the Supreme Court about prayer in a public place. Let me tell you about it. In 2014, Greg Graham, the chief of, of the Ocala Police Department in Florida, posted a letter in the depart, on the department's Facebook page. It was co-signed by communi- Community Development Director for the Ocala Marion County Family YMCA, Narvella Haynes, the letter called for public prayer after a particularly troubling string of crimes in the area in which children were injured. So Chief Graham said in his letter, and I quote it, We are facing a crisis in the city of Ocala and Marion County that requires fervent prayer, and your presence to show unity and help in this senseless crime spree that is affecting our communities. I'm urging you all to please support a very important community prayer vigil that will be held this coming Wednesday, September 24, 2014, at 6.30 p.m. to be held at our downtown square located in the heart of the city. And that was the letter, crux of the letter. The American Humist, Humanist Association soon wrote a letter to the chief calling on him to remove the prayer request from the department's page and asking for reassurance that the police department would not be participating in the event. When the chief of police and the mayor refused their request, the humanist group filed a lawsuit that went to a district court judge who ruled in their favor. But now, the American Center for Law and Justice is appealing to the Supreme Court and I pray that our justices will affirm that prayer which opened the meetings of our founding fathers and opens the United States Senate and many other government meetings is constitutional as long as no one is forced to participate. Now, you, friends, listen to me. I, let me just say this. This is how Donnie Lovett feels today, okay? You might not want to pray. You have that right. You may not want to hear my prayer, so you can walk away from me or put your fingers in your ears, but don't try to silence my faith in Jesus. Don't do it. The reason we are in such a moral mess in our day is because Christians have been silenced by the same people who tried to silence Paul, the enemies of Christ. And I want you to know they are still in our Day to day. They're still around us. Oh, yeah. In our culture, and the only hope we have, is that we stand strong like Paul and try our best to convince this evil world to repent and accept Jesus. It's a matter of who to believe. Now, who will you believe? The man with letters behind his name that says he's an expert or something the man with legal prow- prowess and eloquent speech talking about how you shouldn't even have prayer and invite the police to it or the man or the man with the truth that can transform a life for eternity who, do, who will you believe? The words of man cannot save. The word of life, Jesus, He saves. And that is the word that was in Paul's heart and voice. And it is in the heart of all who love and follow Jesus. Jesus is the hope for this world. And we have been called to share His word as, in as a convincing way as is possible so that those who hear us will believe our message of truth. And that means, as believers, folks, we must be believable. Those charges against Paul were false. They were lies. But what if they had been true? What if Paul had been guilty of creating riots and hatred and violence? Then his witness would not have been convincing. But Paul walked in the grace of God, in the Spirit of God, and his message echoed Jesus, and his life mirrored Jesus, and ours must also. And that brings me to my grace principle today. Let's read it together. Ready? The transforming power of God's grace makes our witness real. Friends, no matter what you profess to believe, If if Christ Jesus has not transformed your life, then your witness is not real. Now, I cannot change anyone's eternity. Only Jesus can do that. And so my witness must be used by the Holy Spirit to convince a person to open their heart and mind to Jesus. As the Lord said to Zerubbabel, it's not... Read this with me. Let's put it up. Ready? It is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The Roman procurator, Claudius Felix, had a choice to make. Who to believe? What were his options? Well, let's look at them. Let's look at him as he said it on the judgment seat and saw the plaintiff and defendant before it. Paul versus Tertullus. Would he believe the message of Tertullus? Who said, Paul is an insurrectionist. Paul leads a dangerous cult called Christianity. Paul doesn't follow our authorized religion. Or would he believe the message of Paul? I believe Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. I believe Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead to give us eternal life. I believe Jesus appeared to me and sent me with the gospel of life and peace to all who will receive Him. Does that man sound like someone who stirs up riots and hatred? No. Who would you believe? Who did Felix believe? Believe. Well, let's see. Verses 22 through 27. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and he heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And now as Felix reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now, Paul. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given to him by Paul, a bribe, that he might release him. Therefore, Felix sent for him more often and conversed with Paul. But after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Felix heard the gospel of Jesus from the mouth of a man who was probably the most powerful witness in the history of the world. And Felix said, it's just not a convenient time for me to believe, Paul. (laughs) So two years went by. Felix kept putting Jesus aside. He would talk to Paul, but he couldn't find a convenient time to believe. But to please the Jews, he kept Paul in custody. He didn't give Paul to them, but neither did he release Paul. There was no evidence to convict Paul. But that didn't matter because Felix was a lost and troubled man like those accusing Jews. And remember this, birds of a feather flock together and they usually stick together. Felix had every opportunity to hear Paul and accept Jesus as his personal Savior, but he didn't. And when Claudius Felix left Caesarea, as far as we know, he never found a convenient time for Jesus. And if he didn't, then two seconds after he died and opened his eyes in hell, he wished that he had made time for Jesus. That's what everyone who is being punished in hell is saying today, by the way. They're saying, oh me, why didn't I listen to that preacher? Why did I turn away my Christian neighbor? Why did I not pay attention to my godly mother or father or grandma or grandpa? I must have been out of my mind to, re- to reject Jesus. No. No. Not out of their mind, just blinded by the people and things Satan set before them to keep them preoccupied, to keep them from hearing and believing the truth. And this is where most of the world is today, friends. Wrapped up in everything but Jesus. Listening to every corrupt word, but not the word of the one who really matters. I read an interesting story called The Pit. Real interesting. Listen carefully to it. A man fell into a pit, and he couldn't get out. Buddha said, your pit is only a state of mind. A Hindu said, this pit is for purging you and making you more perfect. Confucius said, if you would have listened to me, you would never have fallen into that pit. A new age person said, maybe you should network with some other pit dwellers. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. A news reporter said, could I have an exclusive story on your pit? A federal bureaucrat said, have you paid your taxes on that pit? A county inspector said, do you have a permit for that pit? A realist said, that's a pit. An idealist said, the world shouldn't have pits. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said things will get worse. But Jesus, seeing the man in the pit, took him by the hand and lifted him up out of the pit. Bow with me. Are you in a pit? To whom are you listening and paying attention? Who do you believe? Do you believe the one who can tell you the news about the pit you're in or the one who can lift you up out of that pit? Don't you think it's time that you made time to listen to Jesus? If you say you're a Christian, what difference is Jesus making in your life? Are, are you showing the people around you a real Christian? Do they really see what a Christian's supposed to be? Do you want your children to be the Christian you are? What do you have to show for Jesus? You, some of you may have uh, ex- uh, prayed a sinner's prayer decades ago. What? do you have to show for Jesus? Is your witness before others real? Is it believable? And if not, you need to get some real salvation. You need to get some real commitment to Jesus. Why don't you pray with me and mean it? Pray and say, Dear Jesus, I believe in You. I've heard this story before. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead to give me heaven and eternal life. And I don't know why. I just haven't made time for you. I don't know why I've been waiting for a convenient time. But today, Jesus, I want to tell you that I'm sorry for putting you aside. And I ask you to forgive me for my sins. And I ask you to come into my heart and my life and claim me, all of me. I want you to be the Savior and Lord of all of me. I accept you today, Jesus. And I want you to accept me. And Jesus, today, thank you for speaking to my heart and mind. I want my witness to be believable. I want people to believe that my salvation is real. So I pray, God, help me every day to show my world that I love Jesus. Help them see a real Christian when they look at me. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, it's the greatest prayer. But you know what it is. What I mean when I say it's got to be real. Is it real? Is your, is your witness real? Maybe today there's some, you're a Christian, but you just need to get something out of the way. You've been putting other thing, You've been putting Jesus aside for other things, and Jesus wants you to put him first and put other things aside. Why don't you just listen to your Savior like Paul did? and then ask God to give you opportunities every day to stand before others like Paul did and show them what a real Christian is supposed to be. At work, when it's tough, when your friends are saying things they shouldn't say, they're making jokes you shouldn't make, it means ugly stuff. You're at school and you got people doing what they're not supposed to do. Just ask Jesus to help you stand like Paul and be a real Christian. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word that Your Holy Spirit spoke to us Thank you, Lord, for what you said to my heart as I prepared this message and what you've said to those who have heard it. Lord, we want to walk. We want to live for you. We want our message to be believable. I pray that we'll have opportunities to follow through with what we've learned today and committed to today. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Quentin, lead stand us and with sing song. with us. I'll be at the front to pray for you in any way I can. If Just as I have